Good morning. Good morning, church. Good to be here with all of you and uh, good to just come gather together once again uh, to listen to the Word of God and to worship God together. Are you here with me this morning? Give me a wave. All right. Good, good. Those of you online as well, welcome. So, um, you know, we are reaching a very exciting and dramatic part of the book of Revelations. And we catch a rare glimpse of the cosmic battle in the unseen realm. Wow, so get ready today, it's going to be exciting. And uh, just as an opening you know, story for all of us, did you know that in World War II, all right, before World War II started, uh, maybe some of you will know that the Allies, as they fought the war with, with uh, Germany, uh, they kept giving in to Hitler's demands. Do you remember your history? Uh, it was particularly during the Munich Agreement uh, that they gave in some territory to Hitler. And because they, they did that because they wanted to avoid conflict. They thought that, oh, if they were to compromise a little, they could perhaps prevent a full-blown war. And some have argued that this policy of appeasement actually caused World War II to happen, or at least it empowered Germany, Nazi Germany, strong enough to cause so much trouble in the whole of Europe and the world. So, Gracians, sometimes war is inevitable. And today, you will see very clearly that there is an intense spiritual battle that is going on. And like it or not, you are already a part of that cosmic war. And we must not be ignorant of it, and we must not underestimate it. So why don't you tell your neighbour right now, we are at war. Those of you online can type on the chat as well, we are at war. But not with each other, huh? You're not at war with your neighbour, okay? And what must we do to fight this battle well? And the reason that it can be found is actually shown because Jesus shows us the supernatural conflict behind the events of human history. And that is the big idea for today. And the title for today's message is, What's Up? And basically asking, what's happening? What's, what's up in the supernatural realm? And in the last few sermons, uh, we have covered the seven scrolls, the seven trumpets, and these are pictures of uh, you know, divine judgment upon those who are disobedient to God. But now, in part seven of our Revelation sermon series, we are taking a break from the judgments, all right? And we're going to cover the seven signs. And these seven signs, they cover the period from the time of Christ's birth to his return, which is the second coming. And they reveal why the church goes through intense persecution and how Christ defeats Satan ultimately. And I'm telling you, this narrative is very exciting. And so let's buckle up your seatbelts and get ready, all right, for this very exciting ride this morning. We start off with Revelation chapter 12. And Revelation chapter 12 tells us one main thing. This is my first main point. That Christ defeated Satan through the cross. Christ defeated Satan through the cross. And so I hope that you can follow along with me. 
Revelation 12, verse 1. We're going to read a passage right now. Verse 1 says, And a great sign appeared in heaven. A woman clothed with the sun, with the moon under her feet, and on her head a crown of twelve stars. She was pregnant and was crying out in birth pains and the agony of giving birth. Verse 3, And another sign appeared in heaven. Behold, a great red dragon with seven heads and ten horns, and on his heads seven diadems. His tail swept down a third of the stars of heaven and cast them to the earth. And the dragon stood before the woman who was about to give birth, so that when she bore her child, he might devour it. Verse 5, she gave birth to a male child, one who is to rule all the nations with a rod of iron. But her child was caught up to God and his, to his throne, and the woman fled into the wilderness where she has a place prepared for her, uh, prepared by God, in which she is to be nourished for 1,260 days. Wow, talk about dramatic. So this scene opens with a conflict between the woman and a dragon, right? So what biblical scene does that remind you of? A woman and a dragon. It's the Garden of Eden, remember? When the serpent caused Eve to fall into sin. And that was exactly the reason for pointing out this vision to the original audience. Because such a conflict would immediately bring them back to the first divine rebellion led by the fallen divine beings. And that divine rebellion at the start started a war between good and evil and that went on to the birth of Christ and continued to these last days. We spoke about this during our Supernatural Realm sermon series two years ago, right? Time flies. It was two years ago and I encourage you to re-watch sermons four and five of our Supernatural Realm Part 1 sermon series if you need a refresher of what happens in the Supernatural Realm. And you can find the QR code on the screen. And so in this battle, we see three signs. The first three of the seven signs. Sign number one is the woman. And she symbolizes the people of God. Okay? Sign number two is the male child and he symbolizes Jesus Christ. Sign number three is the antagonist, which is the dragon, and the dragon represents Satan or the devil. We can see that in verse 9 of chapter 12. So you see, this fallen divine being going all out to attack the people of God, especially attacking the promised Messiah, Jesus Christ. Because Satan knew that the descendant of Eve Jesus would bruise his head and exact a crushing defeat on him. He knew that because it was prophesied in Genesis 3. And when Christ was born, right, Satan sought to destroy him, but his plans backfired. Because you see, in verse 5, her child was called up to God and to his throne. So he was enthroned in heaven and Christ actually overpowered Satan through his work on the cross. And Satan 
was cast down from heaven to earth together with what it was described as the heaven, the stars in heaven. And they refer to the fallen divine beings. But notice that this did not happen at some prehistoric time, right? Like before the fall of man. This vision describes a time when the enemy was persecuting the people of God, right? And that was a time Satan lost his place in the heavenly realm. And so as for the woman, she was kept safe in a place prepared by God for a period of one, two, six, zero days. Now you might be wondering, what does this mean? What is this one, two, six, zero days? Scholars agree that this one, two, six, zero days symbolizes the church age. And that is the time between the first and second coming of our Lord Jesus Christ. And this 1260 days is similar to the 42-month period that you read about in Daniel and also in Revelation 12, 14 that says a time, times, and half a time or three and a half years. See, they all mean the same thing, okay? It's not a literal 1260 days. It is symbolic of that time between the first and second comings of Jesus Christ. And so we see that the enemy is attacking the people of God at all fronts during this period of time, but we will never be destroyed because we are also being protected during this period of time. So the saints do suffer, but the church advances unstoppable. Can I hear an amen? Amen. So I hope you're following along with me in this very first scene. And the next scene that we see is the heavenly battle. And that is the sign number four. Okay, sign number four is the heavenly battle. And we're going to read that in Revelation 12, verse 7 onwards. Okay, follow along with me. Verse 7 says this, Now war arose in heaven. Michael and his angels fighting against the dragon, and the dragon and his angels fought back. But he was defeated, and there was no longer any place for them in heaven. Verse 9, And the great dragon was thrown down, that ancient serpent who is called the devil and Satan, the deceiver of the whole world. He was thrown down to the earth, and his angels were thrown down with him. Verse 10, and I heard a loud voice in heaven saying, Now the salvation and the power and the kingdom of our God and the authority of his Christ have come. For the accuser of our brothers has been thrown down, who accuses them day and night before our God. Verse 11, and they have conquered him by the blood of the Lamb and by the word of their testimony. For they love not their lives even unto death. Verse 12, Therefore rejoice, O heavens, and you who dwell in them. But woe to you, O earth and sea, for the devil has come to you in great wrath, because he knows that his time is short. Here we see a change of scene, right? From a conflict between two to three characters, now John sees a large-scale war taking place. On one side, it was Michael and his angels. On the other side, it's the dragon and its angels. So what is the significance of that? You see, in verse 
10, it says that the accuser of our brothers has been thrown down. The dragon lost and was thrown down from heaven uh, who accuses them day and night before our God. You see, from a heavenly position of persecuting the people of God, right? Satan, actually, which means the accuser. Satan means the accuser. Now he has been relegated, thrown down to the earthly realm. And Satan's sphere of power is now only restricted to the earth. He was banished from heaven so that he can no longer accuse the saints before God. And this has tremendous implications for all of us. Because, you see, from an earthly perspective, it seems as though evil is rampant, right? It is so pervasive, it seems unstoppable. We see the wicked prosper and the righteous suffer. And the devil seems to reign. But if we look at it from the heavenly perspective, evil actually rages on earth, not because it is so powerful, but because it is so desperate. It is so desperate. Because Satan is not invincible from this vision. We can see that Satan is not invincible, but he is desperate like a wounded animal at the throes of death trying to inflict maximum damage. And guess what? His time is short. It was stated there, his time is short. Therefore, you and I, we can have the confidence to resist him, resist that final burst of energy that he is trying to to exact the maximum damage, you know. And we know that Jesus defeated Satan through the cross. Hallelujah. And we come to the very important verse in verse 11, all right? Revelation 12, 11. I think let's read this verse together, shall we? Let's read, let's read this together. Verse 11 says, And they have conquered him by the blood of the Lamb and by the word of their testimony. For they love not their lives even unto death. You see, they over here, refers to the people of God who have been under Satan's attack. And we, the people of God, have conquered Satan because of Christ's blood shed on the cross and because of the testimony that we give, which is the gospel of Jesus Christ. Amen. So when you tell your neighbor right now, we are conquerors through Christ. We are conquerors through Christ. Those online, Type on the chat, we are conquerors. Amen. Believe that. We are conquerors. And in this verse, if you read on, what is the sign of our victory? What is the sign? It says, therefore, they love not their lives even unto death. And this tells us that the suffering of the saints is actually a sign of their victory. That's counterintuitive, right? The suffering is actually a sign of the victory because it declares that their allegiance is to Christ alone and they will not compromise even if they had to die. And we also read that in verse 17 of uh, chapter 12. Verse 17 says, Then the dragon became furious with the woman and went off to make war on the rest of her offspring. 
on those who keep the commandments of God and hold to the testimony of Jesus. And he stood on the sand of the sea. Now, since Satan was unable to destroy the child, which is Jesus, he turns to persecute the woman, which is the people of God. And this continues unto today. And so you may say, oh no, this is terrible. We are being attacked by the devil. This is terrible. But think about this carefully, all right? Think about this with me. When Christians suffer for Jesus, and even they die as martyrs because of their faithfulness to God, does that constitute victories for the devil? Is it a victory for the devil every time a martyr dies? No, it is not, right? It's quite the opposite, actually. Because throughout Revelation, listen to this, throughout Revelation, true conquering and victory are accomplished when we stay faithful to God, even through adverse circumstances. That is true conquering and victory, brothers and sisters. We conquer Satan because we do not submit to his will. And that is what true conquering and victory means. And so you will see this even more clearly in the next chapter as we move on to Revelation chapter 13. Alright? So now we are at Revelation chapter 13. Follow along with me. Uh, and this chapter tells us one main point. And that is Christ defeats Satan through the church. Christ defeats Satan through the church. Revelation 13 verse 1. It says, And I saw a beast rising out of the sea. Okay, there's a change of scene here. Now we see a beast rising out of the sea with ten horns and seven heads, with ten diadems on its horns, and blasphemous names on its heads. And the beast that I saw was like a leopard, its feet was like a bear's, and its mouth was like a lion's mouth. And to it, the dragon gave his power and his throne and great authority. Verse 3, one of his heads seemed to have a mortal wound. There was a wound on his head. But its mortal wound was healed, and the whole earth marveled as they followed the beast. So here we see sign number 5, okay? Sign number 5 is the beast of the sea. And this beast represents the evil worldly kingdoms that persecute God's people, right? These are the evil worldly kingdoms that persecute God's people. You see, the imagery of the sea monster is always used throughout the Old Testament to represent evil worldly kingdoms who persecute the people of God, all right? In the Old Testament, you always find that. So the beast of the sea is a personification of this evil power in opposition to the church. And he is also known as the Antichrist. And in John's day, the beast from the sea would have been identified as Rome. Because Rome was that power that was always persecuting the church. So we read, as we, in the passage that we just read, the beast was described as a combination of the four beasts that you will find in Daniel chapter 7. Alright, if you go back and read Daniel 7, there are four beasts there. Over here, all of them combine into one. Okay? And that represents extreme ferocity. 
it was extremely fierce. And on one of his heads, there was a devastating and fatal wound. Although it was a fatal wound, it, it seemed to have recovered from it. It seemed to, giving the impression that it was invincible. Therefore, many people actually worshipped this beast. And this beast was evil, blaspheme against God, oppressed the saints. And then we see a key verse in this portion. In verse 13 of Revelation, uh, verse 10 of Revelation 13 says this, Here is a call for the endurance and the faith of the saints. So in face of that, there is a call for endurance and faith of the saints. The beast is powerful, but its power was only limited to what God allowed. And there is a way to defeat him. And what is the way? And that is for the saints to endure. Everybody say, endure. Everybody say, be faithful. Yes, to endure and be faithful to Jesus. And that is how we enforce Christ's victory. That is how the church can defeat Satan by enduring and being faithful. So that's the first beast, okay? Are you following? Right? You're following, right? First beast. Now the second beast that we see is found in verse 11 of chapter 13. Verse 11 says this, Then I saw another beast rising out of the earth. It had two horns like a lamb. It spoke like a dragon. It exercises all the authority of the first beast in its presence and makes the earth and its inhabitants worship the first beast whose mortal wound was healed. Verse 13, it, it performs great signs, even making fire come down from heaven to earth in front of people. Also, it causes all, both small and great, both rich and poor, both free and slave, to be marked on the right hand or the forehead, so that no one can buy or sell unless he has the mark. That is the name of the beast or the number of its name. And then comes probably the most controversial verse in the book of Revelation, okay? Let's look at verse 18. This calls for wisdom. Let the one who has understanding calculate the number of the beast, for it is the number of a man, and his number is 666. Okay, so here we see sign number 6, all right? And this is the beast of the earth. And what does this beast represent? It represents false religious and economic systems that mislead nations to idolatry. Alright? That is the beast of the earth. False religious and economic systems that mislead nations to idolatry. And this beast was equally powerful uh, with the first beast. It was performing great signs and miracles, even making fire come down from heaven like Elijah did. And this beast represents the false prophet in persuading and coercing people to worship the first beast that is the Antichrist. And so, how will it do that? All right? How will it coerce people to idolatry? Primarily by economic pressure. If you do not have this particular mark that it was stated here, you cannot buy or sell. That's the economic pressure that's going to be placed on the people if they do not worship the first beast. 
And so the question is, what is this mark? What is this mark? Is it some microchip that you insert into your right hand and your forehead? Or, you know, is, is it the vaccine? What is this mark? So this was not, if you notice, this was not the first time that a mark or a seal was mentioned. It's not the first time, all right? If you have been paying attention, you will know. It's not the first time it was mentioned. And it was mentioned a few, few sermons ago as well as last week. In last week's sermon, we also heard that in Revelations both 7 and 9, the servants of God, they were sealed on the forehead to protect them from the coming judgments of God. You remember that? Okay, I hope you remember. And so it is almost certain that the mark of Revelation 13 was meant to be contrasted against the seal that marked the saints in Revelation 7 and 9. It's supposed to be contrasted against that. The seal on the servants of God, they symbolized their undying allegiance and devotion to God, right? That was the seal on the servants of God. So therefore, how do we interpret the mark of the beast? The mark of the beast is not simply a religious tattoo or some outward labelling of somebody. It's much deeper than that. And it cannot be taken literally, just like the seal on the servants of God. You see, the mark of the beast is found on those who identify themselves with the essence of his name, the essence of the Antichrist. And they willfully align themselves with the beast against Jesus. That is what the mark of the beast means, that they willfully align themselves uh, with Satan and against Jesus. Alright, so now we go to the million dollar question. Right, the million dollar question. What is this 666? And we see that in verse 18. Let's read this again. This calls for wisdom. Let the one who has understanding calculate the number of the beast, for it is the number of a man, and his number is 666. And some, all right, some have tried to calculate the number corresponding to the names of different characters and found them to be equal 666. All right, it's uh, characters like Nero Caesar, like Domitian, like Hitler, and many others. All of them, they can calculate them, and the number is 666. But you understand, right? It is extremely difficult to determine the name based on a number. And since there are many different combinations that can actually yield the same total number, isn't it? So I give you an example. I went to this uh, um, calculator, online calculator, right? It can calculate the number of a name. You just type in there, and I was just playing around with it. It's quite fun. Huh? You can try that on, yourself, on your own. So I calculated my name. Wow. <laughs> Scary, right? So I calculated my name, and I typed in. I, I had to try a few different combinations. Huh? So I typed, typed out pastor with P-S. Okay, not the full spelling. Huh? P-S, Peter, L. And guess what the total is? 666, to my horror. <laughs> oh, oh no, it's 666. But I'm not the beast, okay? 
I'm not the beast, I can assure you that, okay? <laughs> so, there can be many different combinations that can yield the same total number, right? And there is no evidence of any other number in the book being used in such a way. There's no other number being used in that way. And all the numbers have figurative significance to them. And they symbolize some spiritual reality. And so, instead of you know, trying to calculate who it is, we try to relate the vision of the beast to its first century context. What is the context? Probably the best solution is to interpret the number generally as the number of imperfection. It's the number of imperfection. You see, 666 is the number that falls short of perfection, which is the number of seven, right? It falls short of seven. And so 666 represents failure upon failure upon failure. The demonic trinity of imperfection. That is a proper way to interpret this number 666. It is symbolic of the beast's continuing failure to accomplish his purposes. Therefore, it's not someone who walks around, you know, with 666 tattooed on their head or their fall, you know, on their hand. It's not the vaccine, you know, but it's someone who pledges their allegiance to the imperfect trinity, the trinity of imperfection. And so with such vivid imagery, the contrast is very clear, isn't it? It presents us with the choice. Do you want to be marked by the beast or do you want to be sealed by the lamb? Do you want to align yourself with evil imperfection or do you want to hold believing loyalty to the perfect God and to the holy God? So I think that the choice is clear. And we, the church, we must pledge allegiance to God and we live out Christ's victory over Satan by pledging our allegiance to God. Everybody say amen. 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 And so we have covered six signs and the seventh one is actually found in Revelation 15 onwards. Okay, that's the seventh sign. And the seventh sign is the seven angels with the seven I'm not going to be covering this in today's message because it will be covered in the next sermon. So you can look forward to that, okay? The seventh sign. But I will close uh, today's message with two very important applications for all of us, all right? What does this mean for all of us right now in light of that supernatural conflict that is happening? The first application that we can take home today, all right? Take the mark of the Lamb by being fully committed to Christ. Take the mark of the Lamb by being fully committed to Christ. You see, no one can remain uncommitted in the conflict between God and evil. Nobody can. Either one bears the mark and the name of the beast, or one bears the seal and the name of God and the Lamb. There is no third option. Okay? But going deeper than that, it's not just about choosing a side. Okay? I just want to choose a side. But it's about full commitment and devotion to the correct side. It's full commitment and full devotion. As all of you would know, uh, there's a war that's happening right now. And when Israel declared war 
on, on, um, on Hamas about a week ago, right? Uh, Israel actually called up 360,000 of their reservists to join in this conflict, to respond to this conflict. Now, um, I've gone through my national service, and I think many of you here, guys, you have gone through a national service as well. You will know what it means to go for reservists. You will know what it means to go to be enlisted into the army of God, uh, into the army of the nation, uh, not God. Uh. <laughs> to the national service. You know what it means, right? And so how many of you look forward to, wow, I want to go back for my reservist training? How many of you look forward to that? Not many, right? Not many, okay? And I was in my reservist unit as well. My friends would be like, oh, you know, I, I don't want to receive that letter from the government, okay? The commitment level is relatively low, I must say, all right? And uh, perhaps because it caused disruption to our family schedules, our work schedules, it's inconvenient. But I was so moved when I read this article on BBC, all right? And this article states that thousands of reservists flock to join Israel's fight in the war. They flock to join. They did not dread that phone call or that letter, you know, but they were waiting impatiently to be mobilized into Israel's army. And you can see the article on the screen. This 24-year-old man, he was a reservist, he instantly gave up his plans to return to the U.S. He was supposed to go back to the U.S. But the article states that he started packing his underwear and socks, itching to be called up to the army. And some were even exempted, you know, they were exempted from uh, the reservists, but they put on the uniform and they would go to the bus terminal, hoping to be given a chance to fight for their nation and an Israeli taxi driver as well. He said this, even if I was exempt, I would still go. I want to go for me and for my country, but I have two young children and I am scared. You see, they realized that the battle is real and they were fully committed. They were willing to lay their lives down for their families, for their nation. So church, if only we knew what was at stake in the battle that's going on right now. It may be scary and it will cost us something, but if we only sense the urgency, the urgency to come and to fight this spiritual battle for our families, for our neighbours, for Christ, if we can sense that urgency, I think we will all be fully committed to God and to Take every opportunity to obey what God has called us to do, even if it's inconvenient, even if it disrupts our schedule, isn't it? And so, to bear the mark of the Lamb, you must be fully committed to Christ. That is what it means to, to bear the mark of the Lamb. And what are some characteristics of those who are fully committed? We have read about them in verse 11 of chapter 12. They love not their lives even unto death. And verse 17, they keep the commandments of God and hold to the testimony of Jesus. And in verse 14, 4 to 5, it is these who follow the Lamb wherever He goes. In their mouth no lie was found, for they are blameless. So choose to be a committed, fully committed follower of Jesus. 
Application number two. We can triumph in spiritual warfare through your testimony. Through your testimony. You reminded of the big idea for today. Jesus shows us the, the supernatural conflict behind the events of human history. He showed us that supernatural conflict so that we can understand that our life on earth matters. It matters how we live. And so we overcome the enemy through the blood of Christ and through our testimony, isn't it? We read about that. It is the gospel of Christ and how we live it out. That is our testimony. And this is one of the keys to, to victory in spiritual warfare. And I want all of us to catch this very carefully. You see, we need to discern the ways of the world that are at work and choose to live the opposite and Christ-like way. Discern the ways of the world that are at work and choose to live the opposite and Christ-like way. You see, when people around us are self-centered and self-absorbed, what do we do? We choose to be selfless, to be generous, and to serve others. We live the opposite and Christ-like way. When the, people, when the world around us, you know, there's infidelity and lust, what do we do? We fight and we engage in that battle by living lives of extraordinary purity, sexual purity, and make sure that our marriages are as strong as it can be. If there's idolatry in your family or in your neighborhood, don't just pray against it, but worship Jesus even more passionately and make sure there are no idols. Nothing can take the place of God in your life. So remember that the enemy has already been cast down from heaven. He's desperate. And that Christ defeated Satan through the cross. And Christ defeats Satan through the church. Church, we have the power to resist him. And do it through your Christ-like testimony. Live in contrast to worldly values. And so I want to take this time right now to allow us to respond to today's message. I think that there's so much that we can respond right now. Shall we just bow our heads and allow the Lord to just speak to all of us right now? Hallelujah. You see, those who now, you know, want to make a choice, there are some of you here, God has been speaking to you. And you say that now you want to make a choice to be marked by the Lamb. And you want to follow Christ wholeheartedly, fully committed. That's what you want. It's not about convenience. You don't want to be like that reluctant reservist soldier. But you want to be fully committed and say, yes, Lord, count me in. If that is you and you say, I want to be marked by the Lamb, I want to be fully committed to Christ. Why don't you raise your hand to the Lord right now? Thank you. I see those hands all over this place. Yes, thank you. Wherever you are, just raise your hand and respond to the Lord. God sees your hand as an indication of your desire to be fully committed to Him. Thank you. Thank you for all those hands. You may put them down. There's another group of us here and you say, I want to triumph in spiritual battle by living out the gospel. Maybe you see um, many things around you that are not supposed to be. You see dishonesty, you see self-centeredness all around you and say, God, I want to live the opposite and Christ-like way. If that is you and you want to fight this battle, raise your hand to the Lord and say, yes, God, 
I want to live, thank you for those hands. I want to live a life of integrity and purity and exclusive worship to Jesus. If that is you, raise your hand to the Lord. Thank you, thank you. I see all those hands. Thank you. Shall we stand right now? Let's stand right now. Hallelujah. And let me pray for us. Heavenly Father God, I want to thank you for every single one of those hands that were lifted. Lord, they are responding to your word, oh God. And they want to be fully committed to you. They want to be marked by the Lamb. And they want to follow you, Lord. They want to be counted for you, oh God. Lord, would you strengthen each one of us and help us to follow you wholeheartedly. And Lord, for those of us who know we need to engage in this battle by living in Christ-like, we're living out our Christ-like testimony. Father, you give us strength, O oh Lord, to do that. That we will engage in this battle and we will enforce your victory through our testimony of Jesus Christ. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. And right now, I want to give us a chance to respond. You may come to the altar as the Lord leads you as we sing this next song. Come and respond to the Lord. Come, we want to pray for you and we want to just minister to you as we sing this worship song. You may come. Hallelujah, Jesus. So lead me on deeper, deeper with you. Thank you, Lord. Here I surrender to you I will yield With all I am I'll give With every breath I sing Your glory I live for All of my days Now and forever I follow your ways With all I am I'll give With every breath I sing my worthy King of Kings. For the different ones of us who are here in this place, you say, God, I want to make that commitment for you today. For me and my household, we will serve the Lord. Would you come to the altars right now and say, God, this is my commitment. This is who I'm... I'm saying this, God, for my family, for me, myself, my family, that we will serve the Lord. God, that we are committed, Lord, to follow Jesus Christ. That we want to be sealed by the Lamb. Make this prayer right now. As a family, as a couple, I want to challenge all of you. Make this a prayer for your family members. Some of you, you may have had family members who have gone astray, your children, your spouse, to the altar right now and say, God, I recommit my family before you. Let God minister to you and your family. Amen. As we sing this song, come on, just respond to God right now, wherever you are. Lead me on deeper. Let's declare it out. Deeper, deeper with you. Those of you who need prayer, come to the altar right now. There is no condemnation in Jesus Christ. With all I am, I'll give. With every breath I sing, Your glory I'll Some of us will.
we are here in this place and you say, God, there are so many things I've done wrong. It doesn't matter. All it takes is one step back to Jesus right now. This is the moment. There is no shame, no condemnation. But we are all in the body of Christ. Come on. Let's declare it again. Lead me on deeper. Lead me on deeper. Lord, this is our cry. I surrender to you. With all I am, I give it all to you. of us here you may be an uncle an auntie and you know that there are some of your children your niece your nephew or your spouse that they've gone away from the Lord and today you want to stand in proxy for them I'm just going to ask you every head bow every eye closed in this place not here to embarrass anybody would you just raise your hands and say, God, I surrender them to you. I surrender them to you. God knows the pain. God knows the struggle you've been going through. And God is saying to you, I am in control. I have never forgotten them. Father, in the name of Jesus, I pray for every hand raised as they stand in proxy for the family members, the children. Lord, may your hand reach out to them right now in the name of Jesus. 
May your love reach out to them in the name of Jesus. God, I pray for your assurance to the hearts of this hands they are raised. That God, you have never forgotten their family members. That God, they cried as for me and my household, we will serve the Lord. That will come to pass. And Father, in the name of Jesus, Lord, as we begin to see different ones, the prodigals coming back to a saving knowledge of Jesus. Lord, we can stand celebrating again as a family, saying, God, thank you. Thank you. Right now, all across this place, let it be a prophetic cry to you in your heart right now. Begin to thank God. Begin to thank God right now, wherever you are. Thank God for their salvation, their rededication. I want you to begin to thank God right now. Begin to thank God that they will turn back to Christ. I want you to begin to say, God, I release them to you. God, I release them to you. God, I release my children, my nephew, my niece, my spouse, my family members to you. God, knowing you have reached out to them and they will come back. They will come back in the name of Jesus. So Father, we thank you. We thank you because God, your people here are standing in prayer for their loved ones. We are one in the family of Christ. So Father, I thank you. I bless your people. And I know that God, there's going to be so many testimonies that will come forth in the days to come. 